And during this time of the COVID-19 crisis, this time of social distancing and sheltering at home, a lot of us are finding ourselves with a lot more time to spend in front of our various screens. And uh, it occurred to me that one of the best people I could talk to in terms of getting some advice and suggestions would be James Nyber. And he has been on the morning show a number of times before. Uh, he is a uh, tireless and passionate fan of movies, of, of great actors and actresses over the years, and has written a plethora of books about uh, various Hollywood luminaries. And, uh, and they are always meticulously researched and very, very well written. And uh, James Nyber is with us today to talk about some of the things that he has been watching and some of the things that he would suggest that maybe we would enjoy watching uh, maybe in the coming uh, days and weeks. James Nyber, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Great to be back on your show, Greg. Uh, I want to make sure I have time to ask you about this. How many books have you written, and what is the most recent book that you have finished? Well, the most recent book that's out and available is a book I did on the Jean Harlow films. Jean Harlow was a starlet in the 1930s. She died very young, but became a very big star, and her influence has continued since. So, uh, And uh, I also uh, have completed several books since then. I am just now indexing, which is a terrible ordeal, uh, <laughs> a book I did on a director named William Bodine, who started out in the silent era, was doing great things when talkies came along. He was one of the top directors in America. He directed Gene Harlow, W.C. Fields, and several others. And then he went to England to direct some films for a few years. And when he came back to Hollywood, he couldn't find a job. The industry in America, <clears throat> excuse me, has uh, moved on without him. So uh, he had to make B-movies, and he ended his career. He did movies uh, like horror movies, low-budget westerns. He did several of the Bowery Boys comedies, and he kept working and kept active despite the fact that he wasn't the top of his game anymore. He just wanted the work, and he kept doing the work, and uh, it was really a fascinating study. That one I'm indexing. I also finished a book on Clark Gable's films from the 1930s, which includes the you know monumental classic Gone with the Wind, as long as it ha as well as it happened one day and other classics. And uh, right now, I'm co-writing a book on uh, the Frank Sinatra films with uh, Kenosha-born co-author Gary Schneeberger, who's a dear friend of mine for many years. And so we're doing one on Frank Sinatra's movies. Wonderful. I I always think that that is. Uh... Uh, an aspect of Frank Sinatra's career that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle is that what a fine actor he was in some of the superb films that he was part of. Yeah, I mean, he, he Frank Sinatra won an Academy Award. You know, I did a book on the Elvis movies, which we talked about when it came out several years ago, and uh, that's an aspect of Elvis Presley's career. He had innate acting talent, but it wasn't cultivated like uh, Sinatra's. Uh, uh, Elvis got shoehorned into, you know, lightweight musicals, which are a lot of fun. You always feel better after watching one. But uh, Frank got to do some really solid roles in movies like uh, From Here to Eternity and uh, Man with the Golden Arm and The Joker is Wild. I mean, strong dramatic performances. I mean, some came running with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Shirley MacLaine. It is a terrific picture that he made. Hmm. 
So uh, tell us, uh, James Nyber, how you have been spending this time during COVID-19 in which you, I presume, like so many of us, are hunkered down at home much more than is probably typically the case. Uh, I suspect that, uh, like a lot of us, you've done a fair amount of of watching as probably also a fair amount of reading and uh, and, and other things. But particularly in terms of viewing, how have you been uh, spending your time during COVID-19? Well, uh, I've, I have, you know, movies, music, books, art supplies, because I do artwork and uh, workout equipment because I miss going to the gym. But uh, so I've been I've been OK. And uh, the only thing is, is I live alone, so I haven't been hugged since early March. So when this <laughs> is all over, I expect all of my friends to file a single uh, file line in front of my house. But uh, as far as now movies concerned, <clears throat> I can recommend uh, most people have cable and a lot of them kind of overlook Turner classic movies and they kind of stick with what's familiar. I think we're just kind of you know, designed to do that where we, we stick with what we know and what we like and everything else. Uh, and when you discover something new, it is something new. It's like a new movie. And, uh, because it's, you know, that's how you discover things new. They're new. Well, a lot of new things are old. Things you've never seen are still new to you, even if they're old and Turner classic hmm. movies. Of course it shows the great classic, uh, films and not very old i mean they go all the way up to the 80s and all the way back to the silent era so it's really uh a lot of uh movies uh but also they um show a lot of things that are a little less known a little more obscure i mean uh this week uh during the day they're going to be showing uh, a movie that the three stooges did a feature film that they did early in their career where they just had supporting roles in it. And it's fascinating because we think of them in the little short comedies they made. Well, they appeared in some feature films. This was made for, uh, you know, a, a major studio, and they had, like, the comic relief in a feature film. So for fans of the Three Stooges, that's an area of their uh, uh, career that most people don't know. Uh, they're also showing... Uh, as a double feature, basically, a movie called Hollywood Party, in which the star is Jimmy Durante, but the Three Stooges have an appearance, uh, Laurel and Hardy have an appearance. They, they have these little, like, bits in there that uh, are a lot of fun, and, boy, comedy is really something we can use. Yeah. And I think later that same day, I, I believe it's Tuesday, not sure, I have to look in the guide, but uh, um, they have a movie in which Jimmy Durante and Buster Keaton appeared together. Uh, so uh, it might be, I'm not sure, I'd have to look it up, uh, might be like something like maybe Jimmy Durante's birthday to show uh, a number of his films in a row, mm. but the fact that the Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy, Buster Keaton, are in there with them, make them uh, really a lot of fun and very interesting at the same time. So, And uh, a little later, uh, it might be like might, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, they're showing a movie from Britain called Horror Hotel, <laughs> and the reason I connect with that one, which is so little known, it's from the 60s. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, that movie wasn't very old. It is in black and white, just for the macabre uh, uh, sensation. And I remember watching that movie on the old creature features on Channel 9 for, out of mm. Chicago. And I remember, you know, you watch all these monster movies and you enjoy them, but this one was so scary. 
I had to find a funny movie to watch afterwards before I went to bed. I was just a kid. I was probably 11 years old, 12 years old. And I had to watch something funny. To get. I'm like, geez, I didn't want to go to bed without watching something funny. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one uh, um later on this week because uh i wonder if i'll have to watch one of those laurel and hardy or three studios afterwards at at the age of 62 we'll see (laughs) exactly you know that that prompts the question of what is funny and what remains funny and it seems to me that it's it's one of the most curious things that there can be and i think this is especially true of maybe more recent recent films that something can be really funny in its moment, uh, and then 10 or 20 or 30 years later, it just isn't funny anymore or not funny in the same way. And then there's other films that are funny, and they are timelessly funny. That they, the, the, What was funny then is just as funny now, maybe funnier now. And I'm not sure anybody can exactly un, untie that mystery of what makes certain comedy enduring. But I suspect that you would agree that there are there is a timelessness to a lot of the greatest funny movies and we should turn to them right now well uh the thing is if if the movie, uh jokes are topical and are, are about the era they're sometimes they'll fall flat years later because we don't know who they're talking about unless they're like you know historical people that have lived on but if they're talking like you know a popular radio show of the time or something like that well, we're not going to be able to connect with that unless we kind of know the radio show and have experienced it. And that's kind of hard to do. Uh, you remember when we were kids, they had Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, which was really mm. crazy and funny and popular and irreverent. Well, they were doing a lot of very specific political humor. So when you watch the reruns, for older people who remember who Dean Rusk was, I guess it's kind of funny, but uh, if somebody like, you know, 20 years old watch them and say oh this is supposed to be good for the 60s they'll watch it and they'll say you know this this isn't connecting with me and uh i think maybe some of the early saturday night live stuff that dealt with topical issues might have a problem there uh if you watch bob hope's performances for the gis which is a great thing that he did and he's making topical jokes that doesn't work as well as if you watch one of his road movies with Bing Crosby from back in the 40s, which they didn't do topical jokes. They just did funny lines and funny routines. And that's the type of comedy that lives forever, stuff that's just <laughs> plain funny. And it's subjective. Some people like a corny joke. Some people like insult humor. Some people like slapstick. Some people like all of the above. But essentially, there are comedies from way, way back that really are just as funny today. We're speaking with James Nyber, and uh, we're talking with him about uh, some of the things that uh, either he has enjoyed watching during this COVID-19 time of, of social distancing uh, and, and also getting a few recommendations from him in terms of things that are going to be showing up in the next few days that uh, might be of interest and particularly some things where you might look at the channel guide and see a name and it might not mean anything to you. And, uh, and James Nyber is trying to highlight a few things that would actually probably be uh, be worth seeking out. Do you have any other uh, recommendations in terms of things uh, coming up in the next few days? Well, uh, what's great is that uh, the exploring that you can do, um, a lot of, I noticed on like social media, a lot of uh, younger people, like millennials, I believe they're called, I'm not even sure, um, are uh, using the time 
who are like film buff people who are using the time to seek out movies that um, uh, they really haven't seen before to explore other areas. And, uh, you know, I, I can understand doing that not only with movies, but also with music, listening to a lot of the music that came before our time. Uh, when you stick to stuff just from your own lifetime, it really does limit you. I mean, imagine only having heard songs written in our lifetime. Oh, oh my God, what we'd be missing. But uh, it's the same as with movies, even though that's a much newer medium. And so when you look on uh, something like Turner Classic Movies, you'll find a film like, uh, for instance, My Man Godfrey, a wonderful comedy with uh, William Powell and Carol Lombard. And uh, that's on on Friday, uh, Friday afternoon on uh, Turner Classic Movies. And then at the same time, there's all these uh, premium channels. A lot of people have HBO, Cinemax, and Showtime. And even though in the evenings they pretty much show the more recent films, uh, during the day there's a lot of films from as far back as uh, even the 70s and 80s that, uh, and, you know, that sounds, that doesn't sound terribly old to guys like us, but you have to remember 1970 was 50 years ago, 1980 was 40 years ago now, so those are now old movies, and there were classics in those days, uh, too. And uh, then you can discover some of the early uh, performances by actors like uh, Jack Nicholson, Tom, uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Al Pacino and people like that who are still fairly active, but that that's where they started. That's where they made their initial impact. And you get a sense of history there too, even though that's in your and my uh, lifetime. So there's a lot to explore with film, with music. Of course, there's books and uh, it can get frustrating. I, I worked from home uh, being a writer. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I'm not, affected you know as far as like income is concerned and i have plenty to do with the book project to work on and so forth but some people you know they're getting a little out of sorts not being able to go to work and even if they've uh found an income source uh, be it the uh, uh stimulus check or uh, unemployment or whatever it's still frustrating not to do what you're supposed to be doing not to mm-hmm. get up and go somewhere and you know contribute and the way to handle that or any frustration is to try to relax, enjoy your family, and enjoy things like film and music and stuff that can enlighten you, inspire you, entertain you, and maybe help you escape the limitations we're all suffering from uh, during this very, very unusual time that's kind of hard for all of us to understand. Very well put. Very well put. By the way, as you were mentioning Turner Classics and, and premium channels like HBO, you're talking, of course, about channels in which uh, the films are screened without the interruption of commercials. Uh, I suspect that you probably get very, very frustrated when you're watching a, a movie on something like AMC or just standard network television in which there is this perpetual interruption of the film for for commercials just how disruptive do you find that as as a viewer and how much do you appreciate those channels that allow you to watch a movie without those interruptions you know it's it's funny um how spoiled i've become by uh non-commercial and uh if it's a widescreen movie it's shown in widescreen now and uh uh there's no uh 
cutting of the dialogue or redubbing of the dialogue for whatever reasons. When, of course, we grew up, the only way, I mean, I fell in love with movies and movie history as a kid. So imagine that I fell in love with these movies, watching them on a 16-inch black and white TV with rabbit ears, where every time a truck went by, the signal would get bad. And um, if it rained out, it wouldn't come in at all. I'd have to, like, you know, watch it while it was fogging out every once in a while. And also riddled with commercials, sometimes every 10 minutes, there would be a full two-minute uh, break. And that becomes quite frustrating now. Back then, it was just that's what we had, and that's what we had to accept. So when uh, video first came out, and I thought to myself, wow, I would meticulously watch movies and pause when the commercial came on, because I didn't know things like DVD and Blu-ray and streaming were to be invented. I thought these VHS movies I was recording off TV were going to be my lifetime film print. <laughs> and so I was carefully, you know, a commercial would come out and I'd, I'd pause it and I'd back it up just enough so that I didn't get any of the commercial part in there. And then I would, uh, when the commercial ended, I'd lift off the pause and it, I, then I would rewatch the movie and see how seamlessly I was able to do it. And if there was one little, in, the, in there when I tried to uh, uh, pause the commercial, I'd get, I'd get ah, I'm going to have to re-record that someday <laughs> when it comes back on again. <laughs> so I was doing this so meticulously, and then, uh, like, DVD comes out, Blu-ray comes out, and you ended up throwing those videos of some of them uh, away <laughs> because they're, they're useless now. Right. So uh, when I watch with commercials, you see, these films were made uh, a certain way for certain timing. And, you know, and when a scene pauses and you go away and you, you know, hear about lawnmowers or laundry detergent, <laughs> uh, then you come back and it kind of takes you out of the element. It kind of ruins what you're trying to do. In fact, way back in the 50s when TV was, <clears throat> excuse me, just starting out, uh, Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy fame uh, used to complain about the fact that they timed their comedy so perfectly, and then these commercials come crashing in and uh, disrupt the timing. And Oliver Hardy, his partner, uh, the, the heavier set guy of the group, he said that he didn't like the fact that one of the films, uh, one of the companies sponsoring the Laurel and Hardy movies on TV was a lunch meet that he hated. He goes, my movie's promoting something I hate. What the, they, you know, the whole thing was so new. They were wondering, well, how, how do you get away with that? They didn't understand the concept of advertising and how these movies got on TV and how they're sponsored and so forth. And I always found that very fascinating and always kind of sympathized with Laurel and Hardy's reaction to <laughs> early television when they were old men. Fascinating. By the way, speaking of television, how much television do you watch, and in particular, classic television, or are you more of a movie guy? Way more of a movie guy. There's a thing going around, I think it was on Facebook, <clears throat> where people listed 100 shows, and you had to put an X by all the shows you've seen, 10 or more episodes. Oh, yeah. 100 show, out of 100 shows, I had 11. So <laughs> I'm not much for TV. And I tend to gravitate towards comedy. Uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, law enforcement shows and courtroom shows and medical dramas that uh, just don't interest me at all. I, for newer shows, I'd rather watch something like Modern Family, which sadly has gone off the air uh, just with this season. You know, something funny and carefree like that. 
you know, Greg, uh, there's enough drama in real life. <laughs> I prefer to wait, I prefer to watch something funny and lighthearted when I'm watching TV. I quite agree. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, last question. I suspect you, uh, although you aren't surrounded by your mountains of VHS tapes anymore, I suspect you're surrounded by mountains of DVDs and so on. And, uh, and many DVD releases, of course, include commentary. And I know that you've actually provided the commentary for some some DVD releases. Uh, uh, I wonder if you would have uh, just one or two recommendations for people uh, in terms of maybe seeking out a DVD or Blu-ray of a given film that has maybe a, 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 an especially interesting commentary track where we're told something about the film as it unspools before us. Well, a lot of the commentary tracks are uh, very good, and a lot of times they're very bad. They're almost like somebody is sitting there watching the movie with you and talking during it. <laughs> and they're not really providing anything other than saying, oh, they're so-and-so actor. Well, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but when they're providing background and uh, uh, special information, uh, that's particularly good. And there are some really great people who do commentary. Uh, a friend of mine, Farron Smith, uh, does great commentaries. Uh, Kat Ellinger. Uh, Lee Gambon. Uh, I mean, there, there's certain people that are just, you know, especially excellent. The ones I've done myself, I did a couple of the W.C. Field silent movies that came out on Blu-ray. Very rare because not many people have seen his silent movie work. And uh, there's a big Abbott and Costello set <clears throat> that came out, and I did a commentary on one. And uh, on one of the special features, uh, there's like a half hour of me telling all about their different films and their. Uh, uh, basically their biography and so forth. And there's one coming out, uh, The Cameraman with Buster Keaton, a Blu-ray coming out, uh, oh, jeez, I think in June. And uh, uh, I don't do commentary on that, but I've been, again, one of the special features, uh, an interview discussing the film and Buster Keaton's work and so forth. So uh, when you're a film historian with over 25 books published, they get you for stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to do it. It you know uh, supports the film and you know a, a little extra money helps. But um, as far as you know the DVDs and in my own library, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I own at least one movie for every year from 1913 to 2019. Wow! And of, and of course for movies like uh, you know certain years like say 1973. Of course I own several movies that came out that year. When you think that's the year that gave us American Graffiti, Papillon, Paper Moon, um, uh, the way we were. I mean, so many films came out, big films came out that year. Serpico, I, I have all of those. And so uh, for some years, we have a lot, lot of movies. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that, you know, I didn't realize that. But uh, several months ago, a friend was over and she and I were kind of cataloging uh, some of the things I was, uh, you know, going over some of my things. And she said, how many movies do you have per year? Have you ever looked? And I said, geez, I don't know. And we sort of did a little minor investigating. And uh, because I keep my, you know, in, in a database, I keep uh, listing of all the films I have, so I don't, like, rebuy something. Um, I looked, and the years are there, so I just punched in the year, and it told how many movies I had from that year. Then I punched in the year again. And I just went through and did that. And I discovered that uh, the earliest film I have in my collection, feature film, not counting short subjects, uh, 
is uh, uh, Traffic in Souls, a 1913 uh drama about white slavery that's like one of the earliest films to deal with the controversial subject and uh, i know it sounds you know it, it sounds like a dirty movie it's not at all it's just a, a, an old melodrama from the silent era and uh then i uh, have a movie for uh, every year all the way up to 2019 and i have uh, the latest quentin tarantino movie uh once upon a time in hollywood which is 2019 and i have um the uh uh, Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman on uh, Blu-ray is going to be coming out. And I'm going to, you know, so I have uh, 2019 covered as well. So, and every year in between. So that's a hundred and what is that? A hundred and six years of movie. And that says a lot about your wide, wide ranging interests and, and knowledge. And that's why I asked you to do this today. James Nyber, uh, thank you for the time and thank you for the advice and recommendations. This was really fun. Uh, a happy viewing to you and stay safe. Okay, thanks.